Ben Harbor, Michigan is a unique place on the lake that is home to less than 10,000 people with the hearts of 1 million. From the outside looking in, there's a strong emphasis on place. The location on the lake and easy access to I-94, but this series focuses on the people and their view of leadership, influence, and power, and how it impacts the 49022. So we welcome you to this special series for the Please Do Tell podcast that is all about the stories and people of Ben Harbor, Michigan. And today we are joined with Mr. Perry Jackson, and he's going to talk a little bit about um, a little bit about himself and why he wanted to even be a part of this project. But first, I want to thank you, Perry, for being with us today. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and also tell us why you wanted to be a part of this project? Well, uh, in short, uh, you know, I was a young man who, uh, you know, was brought up, you know, I think the right way, uh, made some wrong choices, done some things that uh, got me incarcerated, unfortunately, for 26 years. But during that 26 years, I used uh, prison or my incarceration as a university. So uh, you know, I've educated myself and I've seen a lot of young men from my community come in, you know, to, you know, to prison and me having an opportunity, you know, mentally, you know, and emotionally to see where they were in their lives and what had transpired in the city of Ben Harbor since I had left. And um, me coming home immediately and uh, seeing so much violence and just, just murders and shootings, you know, we all have aspiration to come home and want to, you know, change the community, especially after we better ourselves. But, you know, I first learned, hey, even though I see all this going on in my community, I first have to try to better my family, you know, and, and some of my cousins who are, you know, going down, you know, degenerate paths and try to bring them back. But in the midst of just so much violence, and one thing I wanted to do was have an opportunity to see what were the thoughts, you know, you guys gave me the opportunity to see, you know, interview some people and see what their thoughts was about power, leadership and influence, because I've seen those type of things uh, in prison, you know, power, leadership and influence be misused and abused and how so many young men were led down, you know, the wrong road. So, you know, this opportunity has uh, given me an opportunity to see from a community standpoint uh, versus an incarceration standpoint to see into the mindsets and the hearts of, this, uh, of the people of Ben Harbor and what they think. So. Uh, I had some, uh, you know, interesting interviews. If I, you know, that's my opinion. But you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully the, uh, you know, the joint audience will you know, like it as well. So, in one of the interviews that you, that we're actually going to go to first, you talk about and which I thought was so cool, and I wanted to hear more about it, even just how your influence has impacted quite a few people in this community since you've been home and in your conversation with Precious that we're going to get to, you talked about, um, man, you just sitting down with two young men and basically giving your perspective of like, this is where I've been and this is where you don't need to go. And basically them having a misunderstanding. Can you share that story with us? Are you able to share that story with us? Yeah. So, um, you know, just to give you some backdrop and how we got to that, um, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I was always being told, uh, you know, to use my platform, basically my story for the right, you know, 
for the right thing or the right situation. So when I realized that uh, social media was one of the three or four biggest platforms in the world, because you have te television, mm -hmm. you know, you have radio, you have social media and you have podcasts, right? So you have an opportunity to really get to get in, you know, in the homes and hearts of people. So I wanted to be very careful or tactful in the way that I address, you know, people who are on my social media page know that 90% of my social media page is all about positive stuff. You know, it's, you know, I, I personally, you know, address one or two things that, you know, that I just address based upon me not being able to see people. But um, I was just talking about everything that was going on in the city and how, you know, I'm just willing to, you know, be of assistance to be a, you know, a ear or anything in order to help people understand that, hey, this is what gun violence to do. You know, anytime you have a gun, what you're doing is you have, you have the first most powerful thing under God. You, you have control to take somebody's life where their life seeks to exist. And that's a powerful thing. So me being on that end of the scope, I realized I would never you know, like to see another human being life being taken. But what happened was, uh, you know, you know, I, I reached out and I said, listen, if anybody got any problem that they want me to, you know, sit down with individuals and talk about within reason and, and within the scope of uh, my parole. Um, so ironically, you know, not long later, two men had had a, a disagreement or misunderstanding. One guy was talking to his girlfriend on the phone, but facial expressions, you know, can actually, you know, you know, alter a person's perception, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what happened was he was arguing with his girlfriend, but as he was arguing with the girlfriend and giving off certain facial expressions, he was unbeknownst to him looking towards, a, you know, a guy. And the guy thought that he was, you know, what they call mean mugging. And so, you know, word got back was like, yeah, this is, you know, dude looking at me this way and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress it when I see him. And so I think it was his uncle or his cousin reached out to me like, look, I know my family member, you know, he's, he can fly off the handle, especially mm -hmm. with the gun. And so I wanted to be careful, you know, because that was a, a very, uh, very, what word I'm looking for? Very delicate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very delicate situation because I understand my position and being free, you know, being on parole, I can't insert myself in those situations. But what I did is I called and talked, I got in touch with the guy who was talking to his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, telling him, you know, what's the issue with you and this guy? He was like, man, you know, that me and him had an issue with uh, a girl back in high school, you know, that I had from him or something like that. And I'm like, well, he seemed to think that you were looking at him a certain way. He was like, hold on. He get on the phone. He said, you know, call this girl. He was like, baby, I'm going to ask you a question. What was we just talking about? You know, she was like, what you mean? He was like, I got somebody here. I just want to understand what we're talking about. She was talking about personal things, what he was doing to her and, and we were arguing, but, you know, it's all good. And so I went back to the young man who took it offensive. And I said, listen, man, what you thought, that wasn't what it was. I say sometimes people may be, you know, their minds may be geared towards one thing and their facial expression is geared towards that. But mm -hmm. when a person look at, you know, you know, he looked towards you and you automatically took that because you knew that he, in so many words, took your girlfriend away from you. I say, man, don't allow that to put you in a position where you end up spending, you know, the rest of your life in prison. Then I gave him my story and he was kind of like, whoa, you know what I mean? And so it was more so of like 
like a dilemma tale or reality tale of me giving him the backdrop of my story. And so much could have been prevented because one of the most important things I share with him is that I wish somebody would have intervened in my situation. I was, our bigger homies would have been like, look, man, I'm gonna get you together. And I'm gonna get you, you know, I'm gonna get my, which is my victim, grab him and grab me. I say, listen, what's your issue with him? What's your issue with him? And then I could have understood exactly what he didn't like about me or what was the misunderstanding. And I could have told him the same. And that's one thing in our community that we don't do. We allow our friends, you know, I have people, you know, my, you know, guys that I grew up with, you know, they were basically like egging me on and then his friends were egging him on. So it was an ego thing. Right. And so ego, you know, for me, you know, I've learned to take that word and put an acronym with, with it. Anytime you have an ego, you're edging God out, you're edging mm-hmm. God out and you're coming from a personal standpoint and you're feeling attacked. Right. And so now you want to defend or you want to show people that I'm not a punk. I'm not scared. And that has led to so many murders. That's been the theme of the guys that I've ran into in prison. That's been the theme of the guys who I've sat down and built with. It's like most of it could have been avoided. Mm. And so I've done my best to make sure that I um, tried to talk to them gentlemen so it won't lead up to that. And so, you know, it was a follow-up probably about a month later. Like, look, you know, do we ever run into each other? It's like everything is all good. So I was most pleased with that outcome. Yeah. Man, using your influence, using your story. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go into Precious because she even gives, she defines influence and leadership and power within her interview. But tell me first, why did you decide to interview Precious? So um, Precious family, you know, her mom, you know, and her uncle, her her uncle is one of my best friends. So I've always been knowing her since she was a you know a kid. And okay. then me being and me being incarcerated, I've always kept in touch with the family. And her precious mother is like a gossip to me. You know, she was there for me when no one a lot of people wasn't. And so, you know, I look, look at her as, you know, as a big sister. And I've always, you know, I was always being told what Precious was doing, coming up, education, leaving, you know, the educational system for Ben Harbor and going to you know, a different area and actually, you know, getting a better education, you know, coming up through school and then the decisions that she was making and then also how she was giving back her time, you know, from the jobs that she had, whether it was a social worker or whether it was working, um, I think, as a, at a juvenile detention center or something. But she was all always giving mm-hmm. because she had a heart. So that led me to, you know what, I'm going to reach out to Preston because she's definitely one who's definitely you know, lend her influence and her time to better people's lives. So I thought that was very appropriate for me to uh, get her on board. Okay, so now we're going to hear from Precious, and she's basically defining what influence looks like in this community. When we think of influence in this community, what does it look like? Um, so I'm going to read what I, put, I wrote down the questions and the answers just to get like a general idea of what my understanding of the question was. Okay. And then I'll break it down a little bit more. So influence in the community, in our community specifically. Right. So I first wanted to go in and say what I feel like influence is okay. in order to describe what I feel like influence is in our community. 
So I put in general, influence in the community is the thing that people are trying to achieve or the person that the people in the community are inspired to be like. So in our community, I feel like um, people are influenced by things, um, material things, things that they see on TV, things that they see other people have or do. Um, so a few of my examples, I put beauty, um, cars, designer, um, flash of money. That's, and that's what I see in, in my peer group. You know what I'm saying? Like other people may see different things, but for me and what I see around here in our community is a lot of people who are inspiring to be like, what they see on TV or what they see these other flashy people doing. Um, and that's okay. You know, people can be inspired by whatever they want to be inspired by. But um, influence is what I feel like people are trying to be. So, um, <clears throat> and I said in the community that I just moved from, well, not just moved from, but um, I've been here for about three years now. But prior to me moving here, I lived in the community where everybody was inspired or influenced by education. So I lived in a small community where everybody went to school and everybody was trying to get a degree and get money. Like everybody is, everybody trying to get money, everybody trying to be wealthy. That's like what everybody's trying to do or what I feel like they're trying to do. So I think in our community here in Ben Harbor, people are inspired or influenced by things material okay and it's interesting and i'm glad to have so when i heard her say that that definitely hit different for me um but i want to hear what you did you agree with her or like how did how did her response to that even because it seems like it was different from some of the other interviews that you did right right so i think what happens a lot right a lot of times we all uh, subscribe to a particular standard or a particular way of thinking as if um, I like a word supremacy, right? When you think of that word, the first thing a person would think is um, KKK, somebody mm -hmm. thinking that they're just solely better and more uh, superior than the next person, right? So the way I've taught my mind to operate is, okay, even though God said all men are created equal, in which I know that, right? But what happens is I have a particular orientation of the mind of belief that, okay, I, I am a supreme being, meaning that if I look at, not in an arrogant way, if I look at myself and being better than you, but if I possess a certain mind state, it'll give me a certain motivation and drive to do things in a supreme way. That doesn't necessarily mean negative. So when she said that, what grabbed my attention is, she was right on point with her, her, uh, 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 with her way of life, of her way of thinking, right? So there's not just one way to look at a thing. Most of us would look at the glass half empty or half full, but she may have looked at it half empty, right? So mm -hmm. it's basically the same. You know, it's always another side to be considered. When she talked about even me not being here for 26 years, you know, I've also done my best to keep a pulse on the streets of Ben Harbor with the people I've stayed in contact with. So 
it's like I knew a lot was going on with the young men coming to prison, telling me what was going on. And the, and the biggest thing is there's nothing powerful. Okay, great. You know, we had Wilson Chandler, very successful career in the NBA. We had Joey Bell, very successful career running back. You know, uh, it's, it's just that we only have a few people to hold on to that mm-hmm. we know. You know, uh, Iris Kyle, very successful. Matter of fact, the most successful career as a female bodybuilder. You know, uh, you look at if you're old enough to know a Sinbad so, or mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson, we're looking at entertainers and, and actors and athletes. But our whole thing is, are people being influenced about around here? And it's who can have the, the cleanest car. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. Even with clothes, fashion is a part of who we are, right? Fashion is a part. We're all influenced by fashion. This yeah. is why we go by the name brand things. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with being informed by those things. But what was more important is when she talked about her be- being born here and raised here. And then when she felt like education system here wasn't really getting to her. And, and that's what she talked about more in depth in this interview. Her, her mom sent her to Grand Rapids and she went to this particular you know, uh, community in the Grand Rapids area. I forgot what area it was, but she realized that, hey, the schoolwork in Ben Harbor was easy, but when I come out here, my grades were failing. However, she knew it was, she took it as a challenge for herself because she seen those around her who all they were talking about was going to college, getting degrees, you know? And so that's what influenced her because if you have a like-minded people who think in one way, Versus here in the city of Ben Harbor. Listen, I love Ben Harbor. I'm yeah. talking about right. I, I would defend Ben Harbor. It's not the you know, it's not the city limits of the street signs. It's the orientation of the mind and how we see things, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what I got from her. She's seen it being one way here, and then she got out of this community and she went to another community, and that com- that community pushed her harder than the community of Ben Harbor. Unfortunately. Yeah, but, you know that's just the reality of things. Now, in my humble opinion, I may not be you know I may not be right, but just just how I've seen it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I um even listening to her interview, it made me think about um even the young people that I've had the pleasure of working with over the last four years. A lot of them, you know, they'll say, "Well, what high school did you go to?" The one across the street, Ben Harbor. What? Yeah, I went to Ben Harbor. My sister, my brother, my mom, my dad, everybody came out of Ben Harbor. And they're like, but you did. You went off to college. You did all these things. I said, it was, I didn't have a choice. There was someone in my household or someone in my family influencing me. And almost, it's, it's, it's like I said, I had no choice. It, was, it wasn't going to work. It was you have to go to college. That's the only option that you have. And But that's really all that I knew. And those were the friends that I hung around. But she was right with there's a lot of influence of, you know, you're able to buy these new outfits. You're able to buy this name brand. Then you're able to post it on social media. And then the next thing is like, go like my picture, go share my, go share my photo. I want to go viral. So it's this urge to go viral off of just things. And it's like, well, what about education? Can you read? Can you, can you understand that reading comprehension? So that, Mm -hmm. that part of that interview hit different for me because it's, it's like, she shouldn't have had to go anywhere else in order to get that educational influence. Right. So what can we do as a community 
to be to encourage that a little bit more. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go off to college or whatever, but I'm just saying you need to have at least the basics. You need to be able to read and comprehend and know just all, I mean, all of that. But yeah, that, um, that was just like an aha moment for me. Like we still have more work to do. Right. Right. You know, so um, of course, anything I say is just based all upon my opinion. Right. So I, I think, I think, what happens is uh, when it comes to the educational system, is something, you know, does the community play a role in the educational system? Uh, it's really hard to really just nail that that part of it down. But what happens is that everything in life has to be revised at one time or another, right? So you can't just continue to use the same text mm-hmm. when someone in another and another community or another city is using different texts, you know, textbooks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, I listen, I, the teachers that raised me, I listen, I so appreciate them because they were, they were not only in my life for school, you know, I've had teachers come over to my home and, you know, eat dinner and, you know, take me places. And so those are the things that I love. I don't know what these teachers are doing now, right? Mm-hmm. But what happens is, is that there's just so many distractions and, um, parenting is different. There was a time where we were, you know, getting whoopings with certain things that, you know, were child abuse back then, but still it's more magnified now. But mm-hmm. even the people down the street would try to correct us until our mom come home and they would tell our mom and our mom mm-hmm. and the dads would get on us. But mm-hmm. it's like now the parents now are only um, teaching according to what they were taught, right? Like your mom, my dad, they they only know what my grandfather and my and, you know our grandfather and our grandmother only you know taught them. So here it is. Yeah. They go out and they try to do their best. So every parent was not raised the same way. Everybody's experience is different. You know, it's just that we have to find a way to uh, make it where the low impoverished communities because these moms and these children they have so much stress stress on them after school, right? So. Yeah. Just to give you, you know, real quick an understanding of real meaning. So, uh, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. So over my years, I've read almost I know over 300 books, close to 400, right? So, and I'm these are all self help books. And one of the most important books that I've read was uh, one by uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. You know, he's the founder of Scientology. Now, you know, I'm a person to say that one religion doesn't define who I am because I learn from all of them. But what happened was in a five year uh, span, I lost my brother, I lost my mother and I lost my grandmother. So emotionally, that was just so much for me, especially being incarcerated. So my counselor asked me to go see the site. And in my mind, I was so caught up on what the standard mentally of black community. I don't want to see a psychologist. I don't never want to, you know, they try to give you medication or, or I ain't crazy, but what was to my benefit is because I had studied psychology and social work and I have a degree in psychology and social work, I graduated with high honors in it. So I was very familiar of the person I was going to talk to and, and, and having an understanding of what was going to go on. Unfortunately, people don't have that opportunity to uh, do that. So yeah. when I went to the site and I sat down and she gave me opportunity to just talk. Right. And when I talked, I learned so much about myself, which just really is so many words. You're listening to yourself talk. And it's sort of like, okay, I just 
sometimes we'd be scared to open up to one another, our parents. Mm -hmm. And I came up out of there. I didn't cry when my mom passed. I didn't cry when my uh, brother passed. And I didn't cry when my grandmother passed. I don't know. It was it was a disconnect emotionally because in prison, if you one of those type of individuals, you'd be looked at a certain way. So I was so sad at myself that I didn't allow myself to grieve properly, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and that, and that's the stage I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still going through. But my point is, when I read the book by Aaron Herbert, what it showed me is that. He said the thing called engrams. It's traumatic experiences that happen in your life that you have yet to address. Meaning, Ronika can be a class act, straight A student, but then you look on the news and Ronika and killed, shot up the uh, shot up the food place. It'd be like, well, we never seen that from her. You know, she was a good girl, or you know, or he was a good kid. How did that happen? Things don't just happen. Those are experiences. That you have yet have yet to be you know have yet to be addressed in your mind, and these things are ingrained, and these experiences are ingrained into your mind because they haven't been properly addressed. Mm -hmm. So who knows? You know, a young man or a young lady may have been uh, raped when they were a child. You know what I mean? And they never told nobody, so they're dealing with that that emotional and and that mental experience that they have yet to talk to anyone about. Mm -hmm. So then it comes to a point where so much pressure. There's a breaking point. But in my story, um, I ended up having a panic attack, right? And so everybody thought I had a heart attack. So my friends were calling home to the community, telling my family, family study, calling the prison. Like, you know, everybody thought I had a heart attack. But come to find out, it was a panic attack. And it was just so much pressure being built up on me. And it's like, man, I couldn't breathe. I felt like somebody was sitting on my chest. And then once I really understood all that, after reading that book and going to see the site, I mean, after talking, I felt so free. I felt so enlightened. I felt like I can give my story to anyone. Yeah. I can tell them my experiences of everything. So, yeah. And so, you know, that being said, uh, I think that's what's going on in our community with our young brothers and sisters. They're so, Absolutely. they can't focus on schoolwork. They can't mm -hmm. focus on all the things because they don't know where they're going to get their next meal from. Yeah. They don't know where they're going to get their next pair of shoes from because moms are struggling. Fathers are being, you know, in, incarcerated for so you know so much of what big length of a time and, and and then some fathers just don't want to you know do their jobs but um that's a lot of pressure on a child to perform academically right yeah. and uh these are the things that need to be addressed it, but in particular our community our community is not the only community that's going through this there's so many communities across the united states especially low impoverished black communities where there's less help so yeah. when you have these places so like I'm grateful that Lakeland has given us the opportunity to talk about this, right? But at the same time, you have headquarters like uh, a Whirlpool, you know, who am I to tell you how to spend your money? But if you're in our community, don't you know what two or $300,000 can do with a plan? What stress it can take off a child's life to make them perform better? You know, I've always thought about, we teach children or the, the educational system teaching how to manage other people's money. Go to school, I want to be an accountant. Okay, that's great. So you want to count somebody else's money. Well, why are we teaching children? Why is there not a class in junior high teaching them how to manage money and be entrepreneurs? Okay, each class, you section these kids off. This is just a you know, quick story, you know, a quick idea. And you take them and you say, hey, I'm going to get 10 of y'all together, this 10 together, this 10 together. And I'm going to let y'all work on a plan. Now, this is you guys' money. I'm going to invest $5,000 into your plan. What child don't want to work for their own money, mm -hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. And so whatever product they come up with, they can, they're going to work hard selling that product because they know that that money is coming back in their pocket. However, they would eventually give the person or the, or the corporation's money back who funded that. So it's more so like, hey, I'm lending you this money with no interest. Start a business, but then give me my money back. So now you're helping someone start their own business and be their own entrepreneur versus going to school, going four years of college, sometimes six, getting a master. Then you owe all these student loans and you're trying to pay these off until you're 40 and 45. So now you're a slave to a system that's just so crazy to me. So that's why even coming home, I'm like, I'm self-employed. I've created you know, each day I'm creating an idea or a, or a possible way of uh, getting multiple uh, streams of revenue for myself mm-hmm. while I'm working for my family. You know, I would I, I would prefer to work for my family versus working for a system. That, hey, I'm sick today. I ain't gonna be able to come in. Well, OK, you fire. Yes. So it's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's just crazy. But, you know, for the community, I think we need a better hand of uh, putting some type of program together in order to get these young men and women, but it definitely has to start psychologically with them. We need to find out the backdrop of who they are yes. and what they're going through in order to, to help them. So I'm see, I knew when we had this conversation, I said, Perry and I are going to get to talking and he's going to hit every point And then we're going to have to tie it back to the stories because I told you, okay. many people have told you that I could listen to you talk all day. I really can. <laughs> But uh, Precious told a story about um, leadership, like an an example of when she saw leadership in this community. And it actually, that story actually ties into power, like who has the power in this community and actually challenging that power. So I want us to listen to that. And then um, I want us to dive into... um, Toya's story. Someone demonstrated leadership? Um, I put in our community, um, one of the acts of leadership that really stood out to me was, um, I think it was last year when um, the, well, Ben Harbor Area Schools have been being threatened to be shut down. Um, and there was proposals going back and forward from the um, the governor and the people up top, up in Lansing, and our school board. Well, they really weren't trying to hear what we had to say. You know, we went up there and, well, not me, but people in the community went up to Lansing and, you know, they... Um, you know, tried to get through to people, but they weren't really trying to hear what we had to say. Well, the mayor, uh, Marcus Muhammad, made a statement that if they don't listen to what we have to say or, you know, reevaluate this proposal, then he would not allow the PGA golf tournament to be to take place here in our community. And I thought that was huge. Like it was stern. It was a stern. So he stood for something. Yeah, he did. He stood for something. He said, look, this is our community. You bring your people here and make millions of dollars here in our city and you want to shut our schools down. That That's not OK. So we either have to come make some sort of decision, make some sort of change, or you're not going to be able to come in here and do that with us no more. So I thought that was deep. I thought yeah. that that was a. Yeah. 
I can remember when that happened. I can remember um, our mayor even putting it on Facebook and it was huge. Like it was, you know, you had some people like, wow, that's a, that's a huge statement to make. And then other people were probably saying like, oh, he crazy. Like he can't do that. But me not really knowing about politics, but it was almost like the first time that I really saw someone be, that was in leadership, be vocal and challenge someone. Challenge them. Yeah. yeah. Challenge the system. Challenge yeah. the system. Status quo. Yeah. Man, listen, when she said that, you know, I think we talked about that a little bit more after because what was most important is that, you know, I told her it's just unfortunate in life, no matter how you look at it, when you're talking about somebody's bottom line, it changed the whole scope of conversations, right? Uh, uh, money is the lever to get people to move. Money is the lever to get other people to move. So if I say, Ronik, I, you know, I need you to do something for me. You know, the typical person's mindset is, what's in it for me? <laughs> you know, it's, so, it, so it's hard for us to do stuff because it's just the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, versus somebody always wanting want something in, in return, whether it's monetary value, uh, you know, or what have you. But, uh, uh, yeah, that... Uh, but that's just the way the system is, right? It's, 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 and it's just flat out wrong. And you have certain people, those who may comment and say, oh, what are you doing that for? You know, I can really say some very intelligent, deep things about people who think like that. That's really why we're in the condition that we are. So no one is willing to sacrifice. That, that man really put his career on the line for, for this city, you know? Because I've read so much on how they, uh, and I'm not saying I agree or I disagree, but it's just reading in the papers on how they done uh, Reverend Pinckney, no matter what people's personal opinion was. When he quoted that Bible verse in front of that judge, that judge, he had so much power and influence over somebody else, over one decision, right? So the people who puts on these robes and sets, you know, up here, on these benches with these gavels, they're tasked with one of the most powerful uh, voices, almost next to God, because they can control you and what happened to you and what direction your life goes, right? So one has to be careful when they're in a position to judge, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what, and so that's what's going on. We're judging Marcus Muhammad for what he's not doing, but. He can't do everything, but he done the most important thing. He kept a school system operating. That's powerful because you have anywhere from 500 to at one point in time, we was a school, it was almost a thousand children. Mm-hmm. He, he's having, he's continued to give them an opportunity instead of busting them out to other communities, all clear Coloma and boosting their financial uh, uh, rate and, and, and taking them from a class C or class B to a class A based upon the amount of students that you have. You see what I'm saying? We would be outsourcing and giving all this stuff to these other schools and these other communities, but he fought. And for those who stood behind him, listen, big up to them. What was your biggest takeaway, even when it comes to your conversation with Precious? 
for the first time, uh, you know, coming home, I had just been seeing people and just having conversations. But for the first time, talking to her and, and, and hearing her story, because, you know, anytime I would see her, you know, I would talk to her on just, you know, just typical things around, you know, sweetheart, how you doing? You know, you need anything, anything I can do for you? I mean, just doing the thing that, uh, you know, a God uncle or, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, in a life, you know, would do. But I was almost embarrassed that I didn't realize how intelligent she was. And so, you know, it's more so like, wow. And then not only that, she has a sense of the system, you know, does the system work for us? Yeah. But does the system work against us sometimes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was just describing her being a social worker and, and her having, um, you know, her, her heart, it beats for the better. You know, she wants to help people. When she became a caseworker, she seen the way other caseworkers were treating certain people and she knew it was wrong and she spoke out. Mm-hmm. You know, it made her emotional that, hey, how can you treat a family like this? How can you treat a young man or a young girl who needs to be placed somewhere like this? Oh, just do the paperwork and push it through. And it's like sometimes people look at lives like just a piece of paper, you know, just something you can push through. Mm-hmm. You know, it just shows me that, you know, her future is so bright. You know, she has so much to give, so much to offer, you know, and uh, yeah, that's what I got from her. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about your conversation with Toya. So how did you get connected with Toya and how did you get her to even participate and tell her story? Mm -hmm. Um, So me coming home and uh, on on Sundays, uh, you know, I would watch my uh, older cousin, you know, who I looked up to play baseball. You know, he and his people play baseball. And I began to see a lot of people that I knew, you know, that I grew up with or grew up under. And they were and they had a community game. So now. You gotta understand me being gone 26 years, my history of things and basketball games and stuff like that happened typically every every week it's almost a fight or something just negative happening. And so after the third and fourth week, I would see this, you know, when because I would travel, you know, from uh Muskegon down to Ben Harbor, you know, spend more time with family on the weekends before I leave, I'll stop and watch the uh, baseball game. And then I was just seeing them just give food away. They was letting anybody play baseball, they mm. was allowing the women and to play baseball and participate. So I was watching something that I had never experienced or seen before, right? And uh, and then I wanted to just try to pay attention. Well, who running this? You know, I've seen a couple, you know, people, of course, it, it takes more than one to keep the operation going because there's so many things going. You have one guy running a food thing. He'll tell you, listen, I'm not selling no food. If you're hungry, you can eat. But what we would like, donate what you can because it continues to help us further cooking food and just giving it out. Okay. And so then I watched her, the way she would set up things. And then uh, so I knew her. Well, I met her through a mutual friend. And she was like, yeah, she's one of the people who basically organized this and ran it. And so, you know, and I was just even before I thought about the, uh, you know, before the interview uh, opportunity came up. But then when this opportunity came up to be a, a so-called freelance journalist, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I was like, you know what? Because during COVID, it's really, you know, not much going on. So you really can't really, no one is being magnified for what they're doing in the community because everybody was more so laying back because of COVID. But uh, that was an opportunity for me to reach out to a friend of mine who know her, got us in contact, and I, I told her what I was doing. And a lot of people, rightly so, they would be hesitant because typically <laughs> what happens is you have people 
from the outside. They would come, they would come in these communities, get all this data, and then they would start their own nonprofit organization and gain money from it, right? So yeah. I had to convince them like, hey, you know, I've talked to them about what the potential could happen going forward. So you know, I really wanted to, you know, know that what you're saying, you know, it's going to be heard. Yeah. And so thus, you know, right now, you know, so we're sitting here and now her story, her voice is being heard, you know, thanks with her consent that, uh, you know, she definitely has something to say, you know, but, uh, you know, she's a mother who's been through a lot, raising her children, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, starts trying to start a, um, a baseball program, uh, you know, being a chef and all that. So, you know, she has a weighty responsibility in her life and those that you want to shine light on appreciate and be thankful for so i know in the um in the very beginning of her interview she talks about being a chef and um just how covid just kind of changed her plans in so many ways like this year has um it's 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 been a year like we've never seen before but we can also say that it has birthed some great opportunities for so many people, even this project or even this, this community-based sports league, which I just loved hearing about. And it even connects to the next story that we're going to talk about too. But she talks about, um, and I love hearing these stories of how she was inspired by certain people in order to do what she she decided to do like I definitely don't want to take away from what she did because like starting a sports league during COVID and even getting people to participate and then doing social distancing I was just listening to it like wow you turned some lemons into lemonade for real like in a matter of weeks Mm -hmm. and how she just was supported by um she got support from, as we mentioned before, you know, you you try not to pull on those that we see, like you try not to reach out to Sinbad too much or Ernie Hudson or Wilson or, or Joy, but she decided he wanted to be in partnership with her. He saw something in her and was like, no, let me partner with you. But she talks about her inspiration. And I want to talk about that because I don't think that a lot of people get their flowers. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so I want to be able to, in, in her words, for her to talk about the women that inspired her. For the players, like um, things from the concession stand, um, the food, um, beverage tent that we had, everything was pretty much free. Pretty much a lot of the stuff was free, like far as the food and beverage. All we was asking was just for like, Dollars, you come get you a a whole little meal deal, you know. So it all worked out, and it, I mean, it, it was a bit. You got a lot of older people that started it. You know, I got inspiration from like the Campbell women, the older Campbell women. They used to do that back in the days. So I got inspired by that. I'm like, okay, let's just plant the right seeds and and see if it'll grow. And so we planted them rice seeds, and it grew. And you have, you know, like people that just from the community that just come out behind the fence trying to catch home run balls. And, you know, you got people that's looking forward to coming out Sunday, 2 o'clock, 
setting up their little barbecue grills and just enjoying themselves. It ain't been no drama, no fighting. Been a little bit, you know how you do the bad calls with the umpire. Other than that, it's been all love. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, for the last two and a half or three months, uh, I've been coming through there and definitely uh, just seeing everything, you know, back from back in the day when we were doing things. Back then, it was a lot of gang violence, you know. You had the uh, gang for disciples against the uh, vice lords, and they couldn't coexist. You know, for a small town with young men who grew up, uh, you know, all through elementary and junior high, then they began to be on opposite sides of towns, and then they act like they didn't, uh, you know, know each other, or they really wanted to, you know, harm one another. But, you know, when I came in town and I seen these same particular individuals when they were young, now they up playing bad. I mean, up playing baseball together. They hug and they touch and they eat and congregate. It showed me something better, you know, about Ben Harbor and how once you mature, you can go into a, you know, a particular mind state mm-hmm. that you can leave all the foolishness behind. And that's the beauty of that. You know, I myself have uh, came up and, you know, I was hungry one day and I didn't know how the food thing went. I'm like, if they selling food, they was like, no, just go up there and get you a plate. But at the same time, they was like, but if you want to donate, you can. So the first time that I bought some fish, you know, I got me a few pieces of fish, but I gave them $10 because I realized mm-hmm. the donation part of it. You guys were looking for money, but I wanted to be a part of something that continued because the money is to buy food so you can continue to go on. So mm-hmm. that's the beauty in that. And, uh, and of course, you know, anytime you're from, you know, a certain particular community, that, you know, violence definitely has been, uh, you know, very high off and on uh, this summer. But that is, that has been my Sunday getaway, you know, to come up there and watch right. all the guys that I knew, you know, coming up, whether at one point in my life I didn't care for, didn't care for me, but to be able to shake hands with them guys and see them having their children up there mm-hmm. and, you know, the little kids be on the side playing basketball and you have the, you know, elderly who sit back, like you say, behind mm-hmm. the baseball, a home run fence with their lawn chairs. I mean, that's just a beautiful look. You know, you guys definitely have something strong going on. And, uh, and yeah, and uh, so as it relates to, uh, of course, in any sport, you're going to have bad calls. You're going to have people upset, uh, be mad at the umpire. But, you know, still as, uh, you know, mature adults, we know how to get past that to, you know, make the game continue. But other than that, have there been uh, any uh, significant fights or violence out there? Anything? No, actually, we make we make jokes out of it. And... Actually, like when we started playing Bosch, that's when like a lot of like the the whining and the crying and the the drama was trying to come in. So we kind of had to kind of like put them in a place like this is not what we're about. If if the umpire makes a call, no one argues with the umpire. Live with it. Live with it. You know. So they understood that and totally embraced it and we just ran with it yeah so in my eyes uh you know you definitely you know even when i listen to this interview i'm just still blown away because you, you'll hear a lot of people saying that even in this community oh no one works together no one's trying to do anything. It's just, you know, some, especially on social media, you may see a whole lot of complaining. But it's like, no, this was an opportunity to take action, bring people together. I mean, there's teams. I mean, there's food. 
when you said fish, I was just thinking like just hot dogs and hamburgers or something on the grill, but no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they, they didn't got want some fish, fajitas, everything. What? Yes. Ooh, right. Wow. And yeah. then barbecue chicken. I mean, it's what? Yeah. And my thing is, um, Wow, it, it's so many people that don't know about this. Because mm. I had no idea that it was going on. Like, I was just thinking, like, yeah, gosh, do I not have the right friends on Facebook? Like, no one <laughs> is posting about this. Or, right. you know, no one at my job is talking about it. And I just feel like I've missed out. Like, I said, man, I'd have missed a season of actually doing something on a Sunday during COVID. Like, outside. Because we actually had some great weather this summer and even going into this fall because we really haven't mm -hmm. even had snow yet either. But I said, man, for me, I was just thinking like I, as a community member, have missed out. Seriously, I feel duped. I feel hoodwinked. I feel bamboozled. Just like, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> what did right, I miss? Right. So what were some other things that really stood out with um, – with Toya's interview? Uh, you know, how she, uh, you know, raising her children, but, you know, but to go back, right, and, you know, talk about the Campbell family. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Precious, uh, you know, she's a, you know, she's a Campbell, you know, she's part of that tree, you know, her mom is a Campbell. Okay. And, you know, that's a family I've definitely, uh, you know, been close with since I was young because uh, Precious' uncle is one of my uh, closest friends, you know, but uh, yeah, you know, that family is a big family and they do great things. I mean, they played, they all play sports, whether baseball, basketball, or done something, you know, they have a lot of beautiful women with, you know, great hearts in their family. And uh, yeah, you know, so they all sit back. It's, you know, it's just sort of like the baseball game with people sitting behind the home run, home run wall of fence. And when the home run is hit, they got the gloves back there. So it makes the atmosphere just that much more great. When you have older people, you have elderly and older people out there. Mm. So it makes you also want to behave because <laughs> those older people may know your mom or yeah. your aunt. So, mm -hmm. so it keeps a lot of things in check, you know, and we really don't realize it. But yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, listening to Toya also, you know, talk about her struggle. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a single mom, you know, what, the accomplishments that she's uh, definitely, or, or the path, you know, that she's taken to, you know, to have something in her life with being a chef, at the same time raising daughters, sons, uh, it, it, it's the typical, you know, uh, strong black woman, you mm -hmm. know, story in our communities, you know what I mean? You know, and, you know, and that's the thing, right? Listen here, that was good, right? That was real good. So you have to come back. So we'll see you next time when the Please Do Tell podcast returns with this special series of everyday people, stories from the 49022, and part two of our conversation with Mr. Perry Jackson. We'll see you then. <laughs>